Hi, this is Paul and Stacy. Hi, this is Ron568. And you're listening to the Cashers Corner Podcast. Cash's Corner Podcast. This month, we are podcasting uh, from Ron 568's Honda CRV as we return from the PEI Cash Raid. So, our special guests, uh, Ron 568 and Paul and Stacy. I can't see you waving, Paul. <laughs> this is Rev Slippery. Yes, and this is Zor. Yes, Ron's having a little wave. So, we are on our way back. And, uh, Paul, why don't you uh, give the lowdown on our, uh, our trip today, or our trip this weekend? All right, so uh, we set out with a goal of 250 caches for the entire weekend, and uh, to break that up, we were hoping for around 50 on the first day, but we, uh, we weren't starting until around supper time, but we managed to get close to 50 on uh, the first night, and our goal was 150 for Saturday, which we exceeded, and then uh, we got another 50, a little over 50 caches today, so... We're all over 250 for the trip, and each of us have personal records for our best caching day ever. So it's been a hugely successful trip, and not a whole, not a lot of DNFs in there. Maybe, maybe 10 or 12 total. Yeah, it's not. It hasn't been too bad for DNFs. A few here and there. Alrighty, so look at my little cheat sheet. What do I have in there, Ken? <laughs> uh, geocaching news. We're talking about Groundspeak purchasing uh, the Pigo. Yes. For the iPhone. Yeah, so the uh, the only uh, app that was available for the iPhone to do where I goes was called Pigo, and uh, Groundspeak bought them. The icons changed, and it's been renamed called Where I Go. So that means that maybe they're actually going to put some time and effort into it. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that because the Where I Goes came in, and people were really interested in them. It's a new icon, new idea, and they seem to have really uh, really petered out. Every now and then, you'll get somebody who's interested and puts a couple out, but. They seem to have kind of died off the last little while. Yeah, it, I had some issues with uh, my uh, Leave No Trace one this week. I was emailing uh, Cash Tech, and he was saying he doesn't see very many of them. So it's, it's kind of confusing for him at times. He likes them. He does go through the cartridges, through the emulator, just to see what's on them. So they are checking them, and they are looking at them. And he'd like to see more. He does like the concept of them. So we will get support from the reviewers as well. Cool. So that's, that's cool to see. Um, another thing we saw uh, is the fact that virtuals are set to return this year. Uh, Jeremy Irish posted a thing on the geocaching feedback form saying that uh, late August would be the absolute latest that they'd have something since they're going to incorporate them into their block uh, event at HQ. So that should be kind of interesting to see. Holy, that was a good strike of lightning over there. Yeah, we're actually just coming up with the big hump on the bridge. Yes, the big, big hump. Uh, the one thing that concerns me about the virtuals is that uh, recently with Earth Caches, they've removed the photo requirement, which for me, owning several Earth Caches, was the one thing I wanted people to do, was actually prove they were there. The educational component was great, and most people would do it, but more or less I just wanted them to actually prove they were there rather than get the information from somewhere and, and do it as a couch cache. So I'm hoping that they'll have a photo requirement for the virtuals, but I, I doubt they will if that's the direction they've gone with Earth Caches, is to move away from it. Yeah, it's... Uh 
well, it'll be really interesting to see how they, they handle virtuals if they're just going to, you know, re-enable the ability to list them or how that'll, how that'll all play out. Uh, just a couple other little things I mentioned, uh, I'll mention. Uh, Garmin released a couple of new GPSs since the last podcast. So the Montana came out, which is kind of like a version of an Oregon on steroids. It's like 650 bucks, I think, to buy. It's got, a, it's got a camera on it, better maps, better resolution, blah, blah, blah. I don't know much more than that. I'm waiting for the top one, the best model that come out with the, Gar- the Garmin Texas. <laughs> the Texas. As big as it gets, eh? Be bigger than your hand, maybe? It'll be wide screen. Wide screen TV screen. <laughs> 57 inches. Yeehaw! <laughs> um, and another thing in geocaching news, at least within New Brunswick, uh, just to mention that uh, there's now another geocoin available within uh, the province. So if you do the uh, Moncton scavenger hunt, you can actually obtain a geocoin, uh, courtesy of the MGA. The coin is nice. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's a nice coin. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty shiny. And has the the town of Moncton has it uh, is the icon as well. The the logo of the town of Moncton is the icon. So that's kind of neat. Cool. The last one they made was wooden. (laughs) Right. It's the second one for Moncton. Yes. Um, Just general cash up New Brunswick news. Um, I pulled the plug on uh, being able to, well, pulled the plug on photos completely. I don't even know if you can bring up the photo gallery right now because I was having issues. Anybody that was on the uh, (coughs) website and it kept coming up as internal server error, that was tied to a problem I had with the upload stuff, so I turned it all off. Uh, The shout box, now, now let's you use the enter key to submit your shouts. You don't have to click the add button. I just put that in the other day. And uh, the last thing was the Cover It Live ticker, or the Cash Up New Brunswick ticker that you could click on to see the live tweets and so forth. Um, I removed that and replaced it with some custom code courtesy of Evil C, who is not a geocacher, but he's a, a friend of mine that I've known for like 15 years. He wrote the code for it, and a big, big thanks to him. I have an eight pack of uh, Keith's beer in my fridge at home waiting for him, so hopefully he'll enjoy that. Um, just, uh, recent events and caches. So, I know you guys went to, uh, some of the events on the 4th of June, because we had the flash mob. And I did three of them, yeah. You did yeah. three, yeah. We did, we did the Dairy Queen event, uh, the Cito, and the flash mob. I actually yeah. forgot all about the Dairy Queen event. <laughs> Your own event? <laughs> yeah. Oops. Um, okay. there, the other big one in, uh, June was, uh, funding. So you guys did the... Uh, that, the was in, that was in was May. At the end of May? Okay, well, yeah. since yeah. the last podcast, I yeah. should say. May long weekend. It's been that for the last four years. Yeah. It's uh, fav- one of our favorite events of the year. We've gone down uh, three years in a row with the whole family. The kids have done all of the hikes and stuff. Um, this year's event, was a, the, uh, the hiking was a lot less. It was reduced, which for some people it was great because they really like being able to do it in a comfortable time frame, but others... Uh, prefer the longer hikes. I, I fall into the latter category. I, I like the longer hikes and more scenic trails and things like that. Doesn't matter to me if we have to go a couple times to get uh, the coin. Although this year was more a token because it wasn't trackable and uh, anything like that. But still a great thing. And the, and the trails are just beautiful there. It's such a great event. And uh, the uh, the event before Rev had the campfire event the night the before with night. the hospitality night, which was great. The park really liked that. Uh, they couldn't. They were really impressed with how many people reserved and stayed overnight. Oh, yeah. So they said that they like that, and they'd like to, for it to be uh, happening again next year. So we'll do it again next year. Well, hopefully with the amount of cashers that the park brings in because of this, they'll go back to a, a nicer coin because it certainly generates enough income for the park. I mean, the number of cashers that were there and paid the day fee just for the day of the event more than covers 
uh, the cost of the coins, and they had people come back two and three times in some cases and stuff. So I hope they re-examine that for next year. And they have mentioned and mentioned that they want changes next year, maybe a different format, but still the same idea. So we're we're t working with them and we're talking on ACJ about how to make it better. Cool, cool. Yeah. So good. Um, just a. Uh, Think go over some uh, new ca uh, geocaches. I went through the list there when I was making up our script. So <clears throat> the big dog series from Belladan came out. So how many puzzles were in that? Do you know? Sixty. Sixty. So that that's, uh, that was a pretty wicked series. And thirty-six caches were on the Sackville Memram Cook Service Road, and the other twenty-four are on a little uh, service road slash ATV trail right by the TCH from Skidook. Do you know what's back there? At when you, once you hit the no trespassing sign. Any idea what's back there? No. Because it hit, there's a fence there, and I'm like, I wonder if it's like, what was back there. I'm like, you know, I see something like that. I'm always a little bit curious. My, what, my theory is velociraptors. <laughs> Number one scout caches. <laughs> one of the two. Area 51. Area 51. Yeah, I thought it was yes, like... Yes, Ron is here, folks. Yeah, he is here. <laughs> Shut up, Ron. You're talking too much. <laughs> um... Ma and Pa, obviously, you know, more Mycologic caches. We see those uh, all the time. Um, I just threw out some names. Uh, Digger, K57, Retired Hiker, Spruce Gum, Cable Guy, Zonker, Ranger 170. They all had, uh, you know what, either a few caches or just caches here and there. Uh, Rev, you did a Where I Go? I have my Where I Go. Well, that's been out for a while, but I've been having... I'm not having problems with it. It works great in the emulator. It works great on my machine. But it seems like Oregon's at the end just get the picture. Yep. And they don't get the uh, final coordinates. The final coordinates that I put that, that, that show up there. And it shows up on mine, it shows up on my Blackberry, it shows up on the iPhone, but it won't show up in the Oregon and I don't know why. It just doesn't. One of the things I noticed with the new caches that have come out since the last one is the uh, or maybe came out a little bit before I don't know if you discussed or not the what seems to be the holiday caches that turned up around Moncton and several other places in Atlantic Canada, some in New Brunswick and some in Nova Scotia. Yeah, St. John had one that we DNF'd. Yeah, yeah. and a couple of Moncton have gone missing already. Yeah, that's kind of an unfortunate thing where people do hides when they're on vacation and then... And there's, there's problems with them, and the owner is not responding yeah. at all, and still hiding new ones. Yeah. So they're obviously on, and they're active. They're just choosing to ignore their mistakes, and it's frustrating. That is kind of frustrating. I, I know Groundspeak has some flexibility on the, the 50 kilometer or 50 mile radius yeah. from your house, depending on if you travel, what your work is, if you have family that may, can maintain it. And that might be the case in, in this situation, but the, the caches aren't being looked at, even though there's been issues with them, they're gone missing already. So I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but hopefully uh, they'll get rectified soon within you know our area and stuff like that. Hopefully. Uh, just another uh, couple of quick ones I mentioned, or I'll mention here. Uh, I noticed trail cruisers in the Rossay area had uh, a series called the Water Tower series. It was like five or six caches, so that was cool to see. Um, I myself, I hit a series of I don't even know how many are on there, sixteen or eighteen. I think it's sixteen. Ca uh, caches inspired by the TV show Lost. I'm a big, big Lost fan, so I, I hit out uh, a big series in a trail that literally came out in the back of somebody's house so I made a little uh, side trail that you could use to go around it so be careful in the middle if you're going to do it uh, Five Beaver and Jim 52 both went up to their knees or more in a really boggy area there's logs to walk across don't step off the logs or you will go in um, I did it with Nemo and Zonker 
and Nemo just he's a huge Lost fan as well and he was talking about the characters at every catch I like this character I don't like this character she's really cute she's hot I like her I want to put a coin in her cash stuff like that <laughs> yeah I kind of had a feeling from some of the logs I saw there uh, from Nemo he was definitely enjoying that um, and our uh, our northerly machine Grey Beast who gets mentioned in every podcast has not been hiding you want to know why why he's a salmon fisherman uh-huh. And he's probably out now with the, with the fresh run of salmon coming in. That he would do loves it. salmon fishing. He's, he's on the river. Actually, oh. I think his profile picture is him on the river. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that having been said, we, uh, we've got a few topics for this month. Um, and actually, as we were just getting ready to, uh, to start the podcast, Paul brought one up that we were going to uh, we were going to talk about. And uh, so uh, we were talking about doing. You're talking about doing planting roots and. And how you figure out, you know, where you want to go and that kind of stuff. So, uh, you want to, you want to speak with our experience, what we had today compared to the last two days. Yeah. You can talk about that. Yeah. Now. Would you like to, uh, to comment on that a little bit there, Paul, since you are the, the root master, it appears. Well, I find the biggest advantage of, of planning a route when you're going somewhere, it's not so much that you're going to be the most efficient in terms of driving distance or even necessarily driving time. It's the time in between the, the, uh, the caches and deciding where you're going to go and things like that, that it really saves probably hours in the run of a caching day, just debating where you're going to go next. I mean, for the PEI route, the last couple of years, uh, I've done a basically a turn-by-turn route where when we leave at one cache on the paper that we have, I, you know, I have a hard copy that says, okay, we go up to, you know, this corner, we turn right on this road, and we might have to backtrack or do this, but it's all written out, so we don't have to look at the map and try to figure it out from our, our GPS maps. And uh, I just find it saves a lot of time from d- discussing uh, where we're going to go next. And you that's actually have the individual caches on your route that we're going to get in order, which yeah. is really good to help out. Yeah, that's what I, I try to do, just bit by bit. And uh, sometimes uh, things go a little uh, off off the route, which is okay, because that's what happened later in the day Saturday. And you have room in the paper to write it on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really yeah. good. It, it's good because it keeps track of what you've done. For one, you've got a hard copy of that, but also it's just... It cuts down on the debate and discussion. You can be sitting there in the car for five or ten minutes Which between we each cast. Today. Yeah, today. Yeah, a couple we... times we just pulled over to figure out where we were going to go. Yeah. And we all want to go different directions because we're looking all over. Yeah. And, well, and, and Paul always wins. <laughs> well, the, the other big reason for, for planning the route for us in this case is that we've got four people with different finds on the island. Yeah. And chances are if there's a cache that only one of us has found, it's me. So if I, I know if it's caches that I haven't found, nobody in the car has found it. So it's good for me because it makes sure that I'm getting maximizing the caching time. But also, you know, we got over 150 caches yesterday, so it's not like any of us, you know, lost out on that. But uh, it just it's just more a more efficient way of doing it, and it's really worthwhile if you have the time to do it. Uh, just because it cuts down on that dead time in between. Because you take we were finding caches in a lot of times yesterday every four or five minutes easily. Whereas if you're sitting in the car four or five minutes in between those times, you're you know you're cutting the actual finding time in half. Another trick is to not let the driver look at his GPS. <laughs> Any comments on that, Ron? Yeah. Another thing is not to listen to uh, the rev uh, complaining too much either. <laughs> yeah, we're telling Ron to turn up at the next road. There's a sign there. He's looking on his GPS for the sign. He's not going to find it. And also making sure you give your driver plenty of notice when you're going to stop. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, I yeah. love backing up, though. <laughs> yeah. We have reverse, and he used it. But not as much this year. This year, we were, we yeah, were much better. Yeah, yeah so I, I think I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, too, with the, the whole planning. It definitely, it definitely cuts down on the amount of lull time you have and question mark time you have trying to figure out 
where you should go and such if you at least yeah. plot out some of that. So. We had a lot of lol time, but it was LOL. Not yeah. Yes, lots of LOLs. Yeah, and there, that, that was the big difference. Like in today, uh, it was more leisurely paced, and we were slowed down by the weather as well. But there was so much time debating. Okay, where are we going to go next? Who has this? Do you have these caches and all of that yeah. stuff? So it, it makes a difference. But either way, it's going to be fun. You're just probably going to get more caches if you take the time. And I mean, I took a few hours to go through it, kind of bit by bit. But taking that time, an hour or so at a time, when you know weeks in advance you're going, helps as well. And it can kind of get you more excited about the trip because you know exactly kind of what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Um, all right, so that that's actually an interesting thing, a uh, segue into our, our next topic, which, which I had put down here, which was uh, for the numbers versus for the experience. So basically, I know we've kind of talked a little bit about this on the podcast in the, uh, before, but not really addressed it in the fact that there's really... <laughs> There's a lot of people that are into geocaching for the numbers, and that's that's perfectly fine for them. Um, and there's also people that are into geocaching for the experience of going outside and, and getting some time to, to just do different things. So I, I kind of wanted to talk, because it's interesting, having done the PEI trip this weekend, which would, it was mostly about trying to get our 250 that we wanted to get, but yet at the same time, you know, it's... It was a nice trip away. It was a good experience, good fun, that kind of thing. So, what's your guys' take on on you know number runs and, and full days of caching where you don't get lots of numbers? I don't know how to count, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think of a couple of examples. Like the PEI trip has always been a numbers run at its core, but we always take the time. Okay, well, if we can get a different icon or if there's a quick multi and things like that, it's fun to do something different. But you know, there's lots of caches there to do. But it, it, it goes both ways. I think most, of the, I would think the four of us in the car are a pretty good hybrid. Like, there, I think of the day last year when uh, three of us, I don't, Rev, you weren't there, when we, we went to Albert County and we did a bunch of caches yeah, that, that hadn't was, been that found. That was a great day. Yeah, that was the three of you, not Yeah, yeah we hadn't, uh, we did a bunch of caches that hadn't been found in three or four years. And we got over 20 for the day at the end of the day, but there was a lot of hikes. There was some incredibly difficult terrain. The uh, labyrinth. Check the, out the labyrinth. The labyrinth. Heck in, of a in, cache. Inner head rock hunt. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, there's, there's just a. It depends what you're looking for in the day, but I mean, some of my most memorable caching days have been ones where I've gotten three or four, and even in some cases, some of the most memorable parts are when you get a DNF just because of the scenery. I think of a, the grandfather's clock cache down in Wentworth Valley that Ron and I DNF'd a couple of years ago. Terrible uh, bushwhack to get there. Flies. Just you know, the cache was nowhere to be found because it was probably buried somewhere. But great story, plus the falls at the end made it all worthwhile. So it really depends. I think if you know beforehand what you're doing and what your goal is, that when we went to Bathurst last year, there was a day where we're getting a lot of caches, and then the last day we got three caches of the Mountain Trilogy. And uh, that was probably the most memorable day of the of the three. So it really depends what you, what you set out before you go. Yeah. Ken? I like them both. You like them both? If you look at my stats, I've got over 30% of my finds over 100 kilometers from my house. So I do a lot of day runs, like with you guys. I'm more of a social cashier. I like going out with the group. Yeah. I, I pick them off at home every once in a while by myself. But it's rare. I'm, I'll team up with Nemo or Zonker for a day. And it seems like you guys I go on long trips with. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't mind numbers. I, I like numbers like anybody else. My numbers aren't big this year. They're getting there, but... I, I'm like anybody else. I, I like a mixture as well. Yeah, I was going to uh, 
it, I'm glad that you mentioned that, that day with going out in Albert County because that's probably my most memorable geocaching day that wasn't about numbers at all. Because, yeah. you know, between the Labyrinth and the Three Waterfalls multi that we did, yep. those are the two, like the Labyrinth, just have, knowing that other people had done that cache, you know, in the wintertime or by themselves and that, it was just unbelievable. And that was, I mean, you know, I, I can hike in that, but that for me, that was kind of strenuous in some of the spots and going up the hills and then, of course, coming out the easy way, right? Yeah. Um, and then Three Waterfalls was a gorgeous, a gorgeous multi. Um, and then there was a day uh, I actually took out my wife. We went out uh, way out Albert County way to get Bernie. When Bernie, the traveling cash, was here. And uh, Shepardy or Katie Cashers had gone out and put him uh, at Mary's Point. And I only got four or five caches that day. But me and Tamara had a great time. It was a beautiful spot. Uh, great, nice long walk. And it was a really, really great experience. So You ruined a pair of sneakers. I saw the pictures. <laughs> yes. So mud. lots and lots of mud indeed. But it was a great, uh, it was a great trek. Well, let me tell you though, you bushwhack across the island instead of going around it because the uh, tide was coming in talk about a lot of fallen trees that was a hard hard bushwhack coming back but anyway so that's that, that's kind of my take um there's a couple ones i put up here uh, in the month's topics just because they were conversations that were going on um on cash up new brunswick um one of them had to do with dnfs and the merits of using a DNF and when should you DNF a cache or do you bother DNFing a cache or things like that. Um, so with with this weekend, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I know one of the, co the uh, comments, I think I might have put the comment on a couple of other people with the same thing that, you know, I typically will DNF a cache if it's, if I've given it a real look. You know, I go out, I look for it, I can't find it, I'll DNF it. Or if I know that just because of the way the logs have gone and I'm looking and I'm not seeing it, I'll DNF it. Um, but then there's other people who don't DNF their caches uh, at all. If they don't find a cache, they just, yeah, whatever. It's it's not not necessary. And I don't like that. that that's just my personal opinion. I don't think that, that helps any because if the cache is missing, DNFs help that. We saw that definitely this weekend where... You know, there were entire strings of, cat, of uh, DNF logs and, you know, we didn't spend much time looking for a cache because that's kind of an indicator that it's probably not there. Yeah, it's one of the things with the, the paperless caching that you have to keep in mind too, though. Like, for my DNF this weekend, if I see that one of you guys has put a DNF on it, I don't think I'll bother because I'm always thinking, if somebody's out in the field and they see, oh, well, the last five logs have been DNF, but it was a group of five new cachers or something like that, and they don't know because... Uh, they'll go on, but it might be there. I mean, we did find quite a few caches on this trip that the last couple logs have been DNFs, but something in the in the logs that were there indicated that it was probably still there, tougher find or something like that. So we looked and we found it. And I, I think it's important, like, you know, for us, for our DNFs, I think if there's one there that represents the DNFs for our search, that will do it. But you have to think about the, the people who are relying on the logs for information and am I adding anything useful to it or anything the owner doesn't know or should or should know. Yeah, that's true. Ken? I DNF when I remember. You DNF when you remember? It, it depends. If I'm out of town, I may not DNF. Uh, around home, if I'm pretty sure, I might DNF, keep an eye on it. But uh, I probably only DNF about a quarter. Yeah. I, sometimes I just don't think of it. Or I don't... Like you said, if I didn't really give it a fair shake, it's raining. 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I don't want to give false false information, although it, it, it's accurate information. I didn't find it. But that's just I'm not a big fan of one or the other. Enough if you want, enough if you don't. Um, and the last thing is actually a post that I had put up, which was tied to uh, favorite New Brunswick caches. Um, I kind of have a couple of ideas about what I want to do to try and collect as much of that information and, and kind of put something together on that. Um, and and so that kind of spawned a well a lot of responses. People I, I know I'd, I'd asked for quite a few caches from people, but uh, <clears throat> just kind of. You know, a lot of people gripe about the different caches that are out there. Oh, well, this sucks. There's too many micros or whatever. And a lot of times, attention isn't given to caches that maybe deserve it or that people really, really like. So that's why I thought it would be a good idea for people to kind of talk about some of the, the caches they really like. Because everybody thinks in different terms, you know. Sometimes a cache that's memorable, there might not be anything overly fantastic about the cache, but it's still memorable or a favorite of yours because of when you found it, how you found it, what the story was behind it. Um, I judge caches on like where it is, the container, or how it was hidden. Because you can have a multi, you can have one that have all three of them, or just one of those things that you like. Yeah. So there's different ways of looking at it. Or you could just have a cache in a bush in front of a building that's a 35 millimeter, and it's got none of the three. But it, it was still fine, and you, had, you got to find it. It yeah. was fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's different ways of looking at it. But that uh, won't be memorable. Pardon me? That wouldn't be memorable. No, no. You have any particular ones that stick out for you? I, I'm writing mine down. I'm, I'm working on it. I just haven't posted yet. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to cut and paste once I'm all done. <laughs> um, I thought we were going the wrong way, but no, we're not. We're, going, we're at the roundabout. We're at the roundabout. Port Elgin. Or near Port Elgin, yeah. Ah, yes. Oh. Feel the G's. Feel the G's. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, Jeez. You know, I... For me, it's always the, it's as much as the experience. Um, like I said, some of my most memorable experiences have, have actually been DNFs, or sometimes it's a cache that you go to a few times before you actually find it. That makes it memorable because it's a great hide or like something different. Like a tank cache or something. <laughs> tank cache, <laughs> true. Um, Not Zunker's tank cache, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's just, it depends on what kind of, uh, not to be too like sappy about it but like what emotions is it about did you have a lot of fun yeah or were yeah. you really frustrated by it or was it really like did you feel you know like with the mountain trilogy it was fun because you like we were there together and having a good laugh getting there but also when you got there you realized you'd accomplish something like you just bushwhacked a kilometer up a mountain that's an accomplishment that's a memory great view and things like that but you know the cache hadn't been found in a while but you know it's i think it's unique to different people i've seen people that have favorited caches based on the the title or based on the description, um, based on the, the fact that it's a tribute to somebody or something like that. So there's all kinds of different reasons why people might choose a favorite. You know, when I first started caching, the, the first time I found a flagpole skirt cache, it blew my mind. Me too. It used to be behind the Qantas field, the baseball, my very first one. I DNF'd it and I asked Inseppet, and it's the first time he told me about a flagpole or a lamppost skirt. I had no idea what they were. I went back and I thought that was the best place to hide a cache ever. And I still think it's kind of cool. So. <laughs> I, the first one I tried was the the one at the uh, Nova Scotia New Brunswick border. DNF'd it. We were down at my mother in law's house, and we're like, I don't. How could we miss that? Like it's right there. And I look at the clue, and I'm like, Oh wait! And on the way home, we stopped it and got it. And I was like, Man, this is awesome. <laughs> Who'd ever think of looking here? And now we've probably done 
you know, 300 of them or more. <laughs> yeah. I'll, but I, I have to say, I've never been excited by guardrail caches. I like them because they're fast, so I get excited because I know it's a parking grab, yeah, yeah. usually. Um, but the flagpole skirt, the first time I saw that, or lamppost, I'm like, wow, that is ingenious. I did not know these lifted. <laughs> I've hidden two guardrail caches, and they've both been this summer. Oh, really? Yeah, one just last week and one about a month ago. I think my smallest places to live in Moncton is... No, I've got three. It's my guardrail cache. I've got three guardrail caches, all hidden this year. Wow. Um, I know one of my favorites is actually from a PEI trip, and I know that it's not a favorite New Brunswick cache, but it's it's when you're talking about caches that stick out in your mind, that uh, from the first year that we, the, all of us actually went to PEI and got the uh, another micro in the woods... Yeah. yeah, and it was still, still, I still talk about that. That is still one of my all-time favorites. Is it still there? I, I, I think, think it is. Active. Yeah. I don't think it's been archived. And just because, you know, so many thick trees and you look at it and it was misdirection is what it was. It was a perfect use of misdirection and I just, I thought it was a fantastic cache. And for anybody who's never cached in PEI, there's a lot of micros in the woods. <laughs> a lot. Lots of micros, yeah. Yeah. So... All right, so that's kind of the uh, the scoop on our, our favorite New Brunswick caches. Uh, let's see here. Where am I at? Yeah, so. Oh, we still got lots of time. Let's talk about something else. What else you guys want to talk about? Long pause. We'll let Ron fill the next 15 minutes up. <laughs> He's got lots of ideas up there. He's... Just talk about the guy, how the guys complain about the driving. <laughs> Well, you can have different roles in the vehicle. We have a driver, we have a navigator, we have two thinkers in the back. <laughs> so like that. One guy that finds 90% of the caches, what would that be? <laughs> yeah. The smart one? Uh, I don't think. I think after our first dozen, Paul mentioned something about me staying in the car. And then I counted and I had like five out of the first 12 finds and they didn't even realize it because that's just the role I play. I'm like the guy that stays in the car. They just think that. You, you know, there is a, you are a good luck talisman for finding caches that uh, we've yes. previously DNF'd. Yes. So yes. That, that we, we, had, we had a good one this uh, this year with El Nimrod's... Uh, the Naughty Multi. The Naughty, Naughty Multi. Multi. That was a great, that was a great one. Three-step Multi in a 50-meter radius, and it's really, really well done. Yeah, and, yeah, because we DNF'd it last year, and then it actually was a, a log we read that kind of gave us a clue as to where it might be. And uh, sure enough, uh, here's something that came up this weekend that we were talking about is logging and like logs that don't help. Like just say a cut and paste log that just says, I was here for the weekend, which I'm probably going to do on a bunch. But if you could say, oh, that was a good hire, that one was easy, I didn't expect it to be there. Yeah, I know you're giving away hints, but sometimes you need more than a hint because a lot of the caches this weekend, the hint was the container. Like, like micro or peanut butter jar that's not a hint to me that's the container yeah. it doesn't I, help you find it in fairness I do find like one of the things that I like when it's on a cache page is knowing what I'm looking for so it, it can be a hint if there's nothing about it but at the same time when you're when you're actually looking for the hint now you're saying what's going to help me find the cache and when you say 35 millimeter camo 35 cam, millimeter you know it doesn't give you much of a hint no so, it doesn't uh, you know the that's the other thing I think that that's a really good side topic the whole idea of of hints and yeah. and you know what their purpose is and what you're going to put there. I've seen some some really really long hints that actually had nothing to do with the hint. It was just continuing the story. And I've yeah. seen uh, sarcastic hints. Um, one in Fredericton, the uh, the hint was just log a DNF. 
uh, in a cache where in the description explains that the coordinates are terrible <laughs> and things like that. So, right, in the, right in the description it said the coordinates are bad. It said just log a DNF as the hint. Yeah, that was, that was an that awesome was hint. So I, I think it's important that if you, if you want it to be difficult, then don't put a hint in there at all. But if you're going to put in the hint, unless it's an easy find and there's a, a joke in the hint or something like that, um, that's fine. But put something useful that's going to help the cacher. I mean, a lot of hints are going to be hanging. And, and, and that's obvious. It's hanging somewhere. So you know you're looking up. You're not looking down. Uh, or magnetic is... You can't get a better hint than magnetic. You're going to look at metal. And you're not really giving it away, but you're at least narrowing it down. There was a couple that we found in the woods that said magnetic. We get there and there's an old abandoned farm equipment. That was great. And an awesome place to hide a cache on an old, an old thrasher or an old seed spreader thing in the woods. Yeah. And they were fun. Or, or a nail into a tree with a uh, magnetic uh, cast stuck yeah, to it. Yeah, and that's where you're throwing a little bit of distraction in there to make yeah. it to make a, a micro in the woods a little more fun and harder. The misdirection can be really neat. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. Like, the misdirection in the hint is okay, but, um, and I, I think that's fine. But I've again, seen cryptic hints that you don't get until you find the cache, yeah. so they really didn't serve any purpose once yeah. you get there. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to put... I interpret the hint as something that's supposed to help you find the cache, yeah. not not something that will make sense once you find it. Or it, aggravate you while you're looking for yeah, it. Yeah. In, in the woods, and the hint is yellow, and then you find a plastic banana. It really didn't help you. Because <laughs> you would see a plastic banana without knowing that it was yellow in the hint. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, hint, hints are important. And that's come up before, too, the length of a hint. Because yeah. some... some uh, GSAC sometimes will shorten the hint so many characters for your... As a, as a tangent to that, another thing that I, I'd just like to mention is just because you can put a piece of paper inside something doesn't necessarily make it a good cash container. Huge variety of cash containers that we've seen this weekend yeah. uh, and experienced last year, actually, on the trip. Uh, a lot of plastic containers that just aren't meant to be weatherproof, especially in Atlantic Canada. And some yeah. of them are neat because they have an appropriate container inside it, so they've got the container inside the container with that. But, you know, there's a lot of containers that we came across that there was water in them or the logs were a little wet or things like that because they're just not meant to endure a, a PEI. You find a lot of new caches will use gum containers and, and things that just... Kinder eggshells. Yeah, kind, yeah, kinders are not good. I know there's a series of them down in Nova Scotia, and I haven't heard about them being wet or, or bad or anything, but uh, to me that doesn't seem like a great container. Yeah, we we saw a lot of different containers made out of things, which was neat because it was an appropriate container. But uh, just because you can put something inside, it doesn't mean it will make a great cache. It, it'll be neat. It'll be cute to find the first few people, but it's not going to last. There's no endurance to it for sure. Especially in this part of the country, with the kind of weather patterns we have. If you're living in, but I mean, you, you know, I was going to say, if you're living in a part where there's no rain or no snow, it might be a little bit different. Which is, you know, why if you go out. Nevada or California, places like that, uh, like Altoids containers and metal tins like that are real, real popular, but things like that here, they'd never last. And you, you, the container would be rusted and the log would be a complete mush pile in no time. And, and another thing that I've learned recently, and I apologize to Belladan for saying it now, but 35 millimeters don't do well upside down <laughs> because the lids catch the water and it wicks up inside and that's what happened to his and a, a lot of the ones we found in PEI that were upside down were wet inside and I think it's better they're better right side up so that's just another another thing upside down doesn't work little tips and tricks of the trade yeah well it's just like uh, well when you learn 
well, when I did the storyteller scissors and I had all those, uh, all the wire on my containers and a lot of them come out because the, not, the duct tape didn't hold. And then if you, you know, I learned, oh, well, if you duct, you kind of fold it and then tight tape it, then fold it again, it won't just slide out. So yeah, if you know, that's right. And Seppet does that. He has little wires on his and he tapes the wire, then he folds it back up over the tape and tapes over top of it again, yeah. and, and they don't come out. Yeah, that's very, that's that's way better. And the cup hook's on a tree. Perfect. It, it'll go back where it's supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Now, Ron's got some uh, pretty interesting hangers there where he takes the coat hanger and practically builds an entire couch and a fence with it. With <laughs> basket. <laughs> basket, yes. Yeah, basket. Your basket. And a lot of your series have them, and, they, and it works well. Very the well. The cash goes back where it belongs and stays put. Yeah, that's keeps the wandering cash phenomenon from happening. Yeah, where you've got a group of cashers and one person finds it and they hand it back, hand it back, hand it back, and then nobody, the person who signs the last or looks at the last, doesn't know where it's gone. Well, the one I put on Von Harvey rest stop is not very old, and I went back to check on it a couple weeks later, and I had put it at lower on the tree on one side. When I went back, it was over my head on the other side, and this is a tree that's three feet around. It's a massive pine. And I don't know how it got up and around the other side of the tree when you physically would have to walk all the way around because it's a big tree to put it on the other side. I don't understand why it's there. Maybe somebody felt that was a better spot. Well, I mean, it's... Sometimes if you... Well, kind of like what Paul is saying, if you're in a group and, you know, one person's... Maybe not one person signing the log for everybody so it gets handed from person to person to person. Yeah. They could be curved around the tree or something. And that could happen in fun day. Yeah. I, I know when we started caching, we had a tendency to, you know, faithfully believe that it, the cache should be at ground zero. So I, I think some new cachers still, they find a cache a few meters off and they'll, they put it back where they zeroed out. Yeah, not so, realizing so that. It, it can wander a little bit that way as well. Well, when I had my bus uh, tour series there, one of the nanos, it took me a good 20 minutes to find it because it was nowhere near where I had put it. It was the one in the... How uh, did it take 20 minutes inside of a bus stop box? It wasn't. It wasn't in the bus oh. stop. It was the one at uh, <coughs> a Superstore. It was in the car corral. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that one had wandered. because Those could wander. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's such a small container, right? Um, <laughs> something that's come up lately, I have done it, and I know Nemo Daidai is, is doing it as well, and Paul has done it in the past, and... We don't do enough of it, unfortunately, because I think we we don't want to look like jerks and we don't want to upset people, but putting a needs archived on a cache that's just dead. It's been wet f for two years, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the other day, I was at home looking around, and I saw this cache near my house that's been there forever, and I went to look at it to see if it still had a problem. It had been wet for two years, solid, and I had six needs maintenance on it, and nothing was done. So I said, this one's got to go. I put a note and I said, this needs to go. It's, it, it, it needs to be removed. Nemo showed up to my house 10 minutes later and says, guess what I just did? I threw a cache in the garbage. It wasn't a cache. It was just mush. It was busted. There was no cover. And he told me what it was and it was a cache that I had just put Needs Archived on. And we had a good laugh when I showed him my log so he didn't have to do it. But he's been doing it a lot lately. I, I won't say a lot, but quite often. And, he's, and it, they deserve it. And I think we're all... We're all cautious to do that because we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to look like someone that's going around causing problems, but we, more of us need to do that. We all need to be responsible for the caches out here. I think ethically uh, it's up to us because if we want the game to maintain any kind of good reputation with landowners, with other people who aren't involved in stuff, then we need to have caches that are, are taken care of in quality. Like 
I always think when I find a cache, is this something that I would show somebody and expect them to at least think it was okay or not completely strange? If I open up a moldy tobacco tin that's got rusted crap in it and smells terrible and the log sheet is a pile of, you know, wet paste, um, and then I go back and look and it's been that way for a year and a half and the cashier hasn't logged on in six months, then what am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to do? I think it's our responsibility to remove that stuff um, and let people know, especially if we know that the person isn't going to do it themselves. And there are a number of cashers around that we know that aren't doing the game anymore, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but it means that I have no problem with removing their caches or, or, think, or putting needs archived on it because it frees up space, but it gets rid of the garbage. I know that Nemo removed one when he first started and he said, I took this cache and it needs to be archived. And he got an email from a reviewer saying, you can't do that. These caches belong to people and it's their responsibility to take them out. But I, I, I just don't think that holds water anymore because there's just, there are a lot in our area and unfortunately dozens if not more that just really should be going soon. Well, I think too what happens is, is that you've got a lot of cashers who well, maybe cashers that put out a lot of caches and they they quit or retire or fade off in the game, and you know it was something that was definitely interesting to them at one time, but they just life has taken them in a different direction. So now they're please don't let the truck hit us. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, they either don't have the time or they just you know things get in the way. I know for myself when I've I've wanted to go out and do maintenance or I've received a needs maintenance log on my caches sometimes it's taken me quite a while to go out and you know most of my caches are within the Moncton city limits so it's not like I have to go too far but sometimes it, it kind of gets away from you but it's definitely the responsibility of the people who uh, who cache and who are out there to try and, and keep the game as clean as possible I mean yeah Nemo took another one out when you and uh, yeah. when we went out to go get the uh, hike for Johnny Cash one. We found that there was one out there that was in really, really bad shape. So, And there wouldn't be a needs archived function if we weren't meant to use it. Yeah, yeah that's a good that's point. Great, great point. And if we all did it, then everybody would look, would, 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 would do it more and wouldn't be frowned upon, I guess. And it's not really frowned upon. Most cashers would thank you if you took out an old cash so that I don't have to worry about finding this mess. So. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're on to upcoming events. So we have the Tri-City Breakfast, Washington, Fredericton, and uh, St. John. In fact, I think there's, yeah, there's a Bungle at, Bungle at the Jungle, Fredericton. Uh, no St. Stephen Breakfast. Um, you get the Wings and Bonfire coming up. And a little bit of a... We had a dilemma. Uh, Saxby's, we, we listed, I listed the Bonfire. We listed the Saxby's event, and they were a half hour apart. And everything was fine. They were approved. And Saxby's went out of business, unfortunately. So uh, Will, instead of, or Zonker, I guess, instead of just uh, changing the coordinates, he disabled it, archived it, and went to list a new one. And the uh, cash drone wouldn't approve the second one because he said we were event stacking, which is something new. I've never heard that term before. New one to so me too. We were event stacking. They were only half hour apart. He suggested that one of us take it and combine it into one event. We said, no, we're not. And Will had a little bit of a discussion with him, and it got approved. Moved to the Fox and the Hound, which is not as nice as Saxby's. It's, it's a little more uh, rednecky, maybe you would say. <laughs> but it's still it's a decent pub, and, and it's wings, and it's pub fare, and it's it's good. I I have no issue. I like it there. I'll go there, no problem. So, cool. 
the, the, the trick is to go to the wings, and then we're going to go and meet at the bonfire after, and have a nice night around the campfire. Maybe burn some puzzles. I don't know. <laughs> but that's an agenda, so I couldn't do my puzzle burning again, because that event had an agenda. One thing about events, and I think we've talked about this, but we haven't brought it on the podcast, is the uh, events being published at the same spot for three months in a row. When I went to the St. John breakfast, I looked on my phone, I clicked on the event, logged in, dropped the travel book, found out I logged into the August event. Oh, yeah. Because they're stacked on top of each other, and I couldn't see the difference on my phone. I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing uh, Groundspeak take a little bit tougher uh, stance on these events. Because they're, they're get-togethers. There are lots of groups that do things, and they have monthly meetings and stuff like that. And to me, it's nice, like, the characters in a certain area want to meet somewhere monthly, right? But to call it an event every month when it's the same thing over and over, I, I find, for one, it flutters up the cash page. So I've actually started uh, ignoring events on the newest in New Brunswick to, to keep that front page clear from events I know I'm not going to. But then when you see, you know, breakfast at place X three months or longer, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to go to a breakfast in a certain city three months from now. Um, but also, I don't need to know that there's going to be there because after you do that event, then you should post the next one, and you've got yeah. plenty of time because it's a month away. They, you need two weeks' notice for an event, not twelve weeks' notice. That reminds me, I haven't archived my hospitality event yet because I never see it. I'm going to have to go and archive that one. Yes. <laughs> I've been um, meaning to. I'm going to put a needs archive on it when I get home. <laughs> yes, please do to remind me. Otherwise, I'd forget. Speaking of events, Paul, you've got a Geo Woodstock on the road event coming up. Yeah, that, I, I might be the only person there. <laughs> uh, I basically put it out as uh, we did one before we went to the Mega in Quebec a couple of years ago. Uh, we had a bon, bon voyage thing, and that was just to uh, give people a chance to, if they had any bugs that they wanted moved, uh, to come out. But also, the Bridge Street Cafe is a nice place to hold an event, and we've really had a couple is, there, yeah. couple there before, and uh, with some pretty good success. So we'll see if anyone turns out. And if not. No big deal, but I'm hoping that a few people come out, even if there's no bugs to, to move, because I've got plenty of trackables to take with us anyway, so we'll see how it goes. It's a nice event. I like the place, and it's good for the cashers in the Moncton area. You make a little trip of it. You yeah. take your wife, you go down and have a coffee. I brought my kids one time. They loved it there. It's just nice to get away sometimes. It, it is a great cafe. Yeah. And uh, the last uh, upcoming event I have for uh, June is uh, Geocachette in Dieppe, and that just came out not that long ago. Uh, Tiger Tracker's doing a basically intro how-to on geocaching at the uh, the DM Park there. What am I thinking? Rotary Park. Yeah. Rotary Park. Soon at the Rotary Park. It's the same the same kind of event he did last year. Um, I think it's on a Thursday, which I thought was different. I think it's actually on Thursday between I saw, but I 10, 10, and, uh, 10 and noon. I um, went to his last one and I took a, a, a couple and their young son out around. And showed them how to cash. I taught them different things. And at the end, I gave them a bison tube. Oh, and cool. they've actually gone out and hidden it now. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so... You should give them an ammo can. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I know that uh, the uh, city of Dieppe was really keen on the event last year. They actually had uh, blurb in the paper and I think the C, uh, the French News Channel or the French CBC they were there, they were there the last cameras, year. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of that was kind of pretty cool, so... Hopefully, hopefully has a, a good event, um, and really, that's that's kind of all I got this year. I know we're or this year, this month, we're not quite our hour this time, but it's a little different trying to talk and chat in the car, and we uh, we, we just, can't distract Ron. We'll get a ticket. Yes, driver uh, driver distraction legislation. That's right. 
So, uh, but big thanks to uh, to Paul and to Ron for uh, putting up with doing a podcast en route back to uh, New Brunswick. It'll be less than an hour when you edit out all of Ron's rambling. <laughs> and we all know how much Paul likes to talk. Yes, it's true. Um, so next month, I think. Um, Depending on how it goes, um, I might try and uh, do a couple of interviews or maybe talk to some people at uh, Geo Woodstock itself. I don't know whether I'll actually get to do that or not. It'll depend on how the day goes. Um, and uh, other than that, we'll we'll have a at some point or another we'll talk about geocaching using your mobile phone because we keep talking about wanting to talk about that but just never really get around to it. So, any closing comments from you, gentlemen? Well, it's been a slice. Thanks for for having us here. We're pulling into Paul's driveway now, so our trip is officially done once Paul gets out. Yeah, great, <laughs> great time to head by all. Sweet. All right, well, thanks for listening, and uh, see you next time. <laughs>